Orchard Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. At our church, we have people repeat a prayer who want to place their faith in Christ. Jesus did all the hard part. He did everything but pray your prayer. I'm going to ask you just to pray with me right now. Just say these words with me. You can say those words every day for the rest of your life and die and be separated from God. The scripture does not say that Jesus Christ came to the nation of Israel and said that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, who would like to ask me into their hearts? It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Two gifts, but... Only one choice. This is Wretched Radio. Would like to offer you two free things, hence gifts. But you can only pick one. Choose wisely. Here's the first gift that you could receive because, well, it's absolutely free. Hey, friends. Jonathan Rumi, the actor who plays Jesus in The Chosen, here to tell you about my newest collaboration with the Hallow app. Cool. The 54-Day Novena Challenge. Wow. The 54-Day Novena is a powerful prayer for all seasons of life. Healing, relationships, discernment, and petition to Jesus through Mary. Hold the phone, Henrietta. I'm sorry. I'll just play the ad for you. You can get this if if you want to, because then you can pray the Novena through Mary to Jesus, as endorsed by the actor who plays Jesus on The Chosen. Download Hallow, the number one Catholic app to pray the 54-Day Novena for your needs and check out all the other 2000 audio guided prayers, meditations, music, and Bible read by me. <laughs> you can receive that gift by going Googling for it somewhere online, or you could receive gospel assurance. No, we can't actually give you assurance, but we can provide you with a resource that will help you to have assurance. So many Christians struggle with assurance. They want to know that they are God's child. And he wants you to know that too. And the path to that assurance is not passive. You need to fix your thoughts on eternal things and turn your eyes upon Jesus outside of yourself and unto him. And if you would like a 31-day exercise, not through Mary, but courtesy of dead guys who wrote sweetly about the love of God and the assurance that is available to you. We will give you this book called Gospel Assurance, compiled by Mike Abendroth, 31-Day Guide to Assurance. No guided prayers like, like that app has. No, just guiding you through the Bible and how to think about God so you know how he thinks about you. That's the key, isn't it? Isn't it easy to do that? After all, we tend to be our own favorite subject. How am I doing? How's my walk? How's my affection? How's my fruit? And we need to stop doing that primarily and instead start asking questions like, how big is God? How strong is God? How good is God? How powerful is God? How merciful is God? How consistent is God? Because once you study his constancy, that he's never changing, when he says you're in Christ, nobody can pluck you from his hand. He actually means it. And you can grow in assurance. Would like to take you in an effort to perhaps encourage you. Now, remember, you have to be actually struggling with assurance. If you're not, uh, please don't. These are provided by our gospel partners. It's a book. It's a big one, 200 pages long. And we will ship it. No cost. You pay for shipping. Wretched.org slash assurance. Uh, Don't get it just to get a a book giveaway. Get it if you're actually struggling with assurance or your kids are, your spouse is. We want this to bless your home. Charles Spurgeon, he cares for me. Casting all of your cares upon him for he cares for you. Now, you might think that Charles Spurgeon, being the prince of preachers, would yell at his congregation. Do it! Do it! Quit trusting in yourself! Do it! Doesn't do that. This is what he said. It is a happy day of soothing sorrow when we can feel he cares for me. Did you hear what he said? He feel, you can feel this. You feel assurance. Now, how does that feeling happen? It's not through mysticism. It's not by going to a Bethel Hillsong or Elevation concert. It comes through knowledge, and you will feel it, and you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You will have joy inexpressible. Go ahead, define for somebody the joy of knowing that your feet are now firmly planted on a rock. 
that that your life suddenly has been so radically altered and it is now in alignment with actual real reality that I have got a compass and it is pointing north and I have a fixed star to guide my life and I have a promise, an assurance, not just a finger-crossing hope, but a knowledge of eternal life. Go ahead. Describe how that feels. It's amazing but it's inexpressible because it is so, well, you know, supernatural. Back to Charles Spurgeon. It's a happy day of soothing sorrow when we can feel he cares for me, Christian. Do not dishonor God by always wearing a brow of worry. Come, cast your burden upon your God. You are staggering beneath a weight which your father would not feel. <laughs> Don't tell me these guys didn't speak tenderly. Shh. Don't tell anybody I said that, because that would make me a liberal. What seems like a crushing burden to you would be but as small as dust to him. Nothing is so sweet as to lie passive in God's hands and know no will but his. O child of suffering, be patient. God has not overlooked you in his providence. He who is the feeder of sparrows will also furnish you with what you need. Do not sit down in despair. There's been a hymn stuck in my head. Might be talking about this more in the days ahead, but it's it's one that has a lot of nature embedded into it. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. That everything on earth, it's doing its job. It's, it's praising God just by existing. And we do too. We glorify God just by existing, but we're the only creature on the planet that says, no. Don't want to. Well, you do, whether you want to or not. You will bring God glory in your existence and for your eternity. And you will praise him for just either under compulsion or you will admit that he is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. And then you, you can do it by compulsion or you can do it joyfully. Can you sing that hymn? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Are you struggling to have that? God doesn't want you to feel that way, but it's got to come through knowledge. There is one who cares for you. His all-seeing eye is fixed on you. Oh, now, okay, now we just have to stop all of this love of God business. What do you mean his eye is fixed on you? Well, that's what the Bible says. Now, if that's all you ever hear, true, you've, we've got to hear about the bigness of God, the otherliness of God. Is it the otherness? Uh, he's different than us. He's, he's he's transcendent and he's high and he's holy. But we 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 study those things so that we can have a correct reverential fear and so that we can appreciate what he has accomplished for us. That's the benefit of hearing the fiery side of the Puritans. Whoa. And he cares for me? His all-seeing eye is fixed on you. His all-loving heart beats with pity for your woe. This is Charles Spurgeon. His omnipotent hand shall yet bring you the needed help. The darkest cloud shall scatter itself in showers of mercy. The blackest gloom shall give place to the morning light. Flowerly, flowerly, soft language, yeah, from Charles Spurgeon. It's all biblical, though. If you are one of his family, he will bind up your wounds and heal your broken heart. Do not doubt his grace because of your troubles, but believe that he loves you as much in seasons of distress as in times of happiness. What a serene and quiet life might you lead if you would leave providing to the God of providence. That's truth. And it must exist prior to Feeling assurance. It's got to be grounded on something outside of yourself because your feelings are going to be wonky. They're an unreliable guide for your truth and knowledge and wisdom and certainly for your assurance. If God cares for you, why need you care also? Can you trust him for your soul and not for your body? He's never refused to bear your burdens. He's never fainted under the weight. Come then, soul. Be done with fretful worry and leave all your concerns in the hands of your gracious God. This is, this is lovely. Now, the book then gives other things besides just a devotional. 
If Christ, this is from Richard Sibbs, more Puritan quotes, if Christ has once possessed the affections, there is no disposing of him again. A fire in the heart overcomes all fires without. The more you love God, the more you trust him, the less you're going to worry about stuff out there. Your rock is Christ, Samuel Rutherford. And it is not the rock which ebbs and flows, but your sea. John Calvin, let us not seek any other ground of assurance than God's own testimony. That's day one of 31. Do you think if you perhaps consumed that sort of truth daily for a month, that maybe, just maybe, God would embed that truth in your brain and it would transform the surety in your heart to know that you are his, assuming, of course, you've genuinely repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And I know, even as I say that out of the tens and tens of people listening, but I don't know that I've repented enough. Be assured you haven't. But Christ is sufficient. I don't believe like I should. You're right. But Christ is sufficient. Look outside of self unto Christ. It doesn't mean we never examine ourselves to see how we are doing, but that is not the primary source of assurance by any means. Our primary source is Christ who cares for you, wretched.org slash assurance. This is Wretched Radio. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries, to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thank you for joining us on Wretched Radio today. Did you know we are so close to the launch of season three of Road Trip to Truth? That's right. Season three will be released November 1st. Be ready. It's an all new season with host John Fabarius tackling gender issues, justice, bumper sticker philosophy, philosophy, how technology affects the brain, and a lot of other topics. With experts Nate Pickowitz, Alan Parr, Dr. Paul Twist, Dr. Jason Lyle, and others. And it would not be possible without the help and support of our gospel partners. If you're already a gospel partner, of course, we want to thank you and joining our efforts to reach the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not already a gospel partner, could we ask you to pray about it? And also visit wretched.org slash donate to get answers to any question you might have about being a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Cool. Very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe and now in Africa. Would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 988 AD. After examining several religions, Vladimir, Prince of Kiev, chooses Orthodox Christianity to unify and guide the Russian people. 
Even after a century of atheistic communist rule, orthodoxy remains at the core of life in Eastern Europe to this day. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. A preacher should have some bark and some bite, but they shouldn't have rabies. This is Wretched Radio, Isaiah 56. Words that a lot of people would like to unhitch because, wow, God seems to be so judgmental (laughs) as if he doesn't have the right. In Isaiah 56, the children of Israel who covenanted with God, promising we'll keep your laws, weren't. And so he delivers a scathing word to the watchmen, to the priests, to the ones who should know the statutes and commands of the laws of Moses. They weren't proclaiming them. And he says, his watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. And the dogs are greedy, never satisfied. They're shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain without exception. Come, they say, let's get wine and let's drink heavily of intoxicating drink. And tomorrow will be like today. Only more so, that is a preacher who is a dumb dog who does not warn people like a sheepdog does. If there is danger, he barks. Now, having said that, a pastor must occasionally bark. He must occasionally bite. But he shouldn't do it in such a way that the hearer concludes he hates me, doesn't love me is angry at me, would like to share with you an example of a preacher who literally has some bark in his voice, but who, if you listen carefully, is proclaiming a message of peace and a message that says God is willing to forgive you, sinner. And so he's got some bark in his voice, not because he's scolding them, he's pleading with them, He's warning them. In other words, what he's trying to accomplish is speak truth in love. But you're also going to hear literally some bark from Josh Williamson. Clearly, it's a lack of peace in our society, isn't there? There was. Did you hear the bark in his voice? Incredible. Josh Williamson, he's in southern England. He's in a old town. You can just see how European it is. He's got a board. It's some sort of flannel board set up. And he's trying to deliver a message to people about peace. He's getting their attention. We don't have it, do we? The bark will soon go away. And I think what you're going to hear is a preacher who doesn't compromise a wit. He has some bark, but he also has some love. You might say, I don't think it's that bad. Well, the amount of security these shops have say something else. We have a lack of peace due to crime in our society. And as a result, we sometimes have civil unrest. A society that doesn't have peace becomes at war with itself. And we see that in our culture. Jimmy, can you think of a verse that says a preacher should sound like a seagull too? You could find that for me. (laughs) We could work that in somehow. Josh Williamson, such a fine open-air preacher. And by the way, his voice isn't being amplified. He is the amplification system. But let's personalize it for a moment. Let's make it really close to home. How can I find peace? We deal with the nation. We deal with our society. We deal with our culture. But what about this one? What about in the home? Do you have peace in your home? Statistics show that families are being torn apart. There's chaos and no peace in the home. Do you hear the love in that? Rather than, you don't have peace, do you? I'll tell you why you don't have peace. Nope. He's barking without barking because he's speaking truth in love. We all know that. We've experienced that. Perhaps you've experienced that directly even this day. There's no peace. But the question is, how can I find peace? Well, here's why we have no peace. Here's the diagnosis. Ready? This will explain why we do not have peace. It's a quote from the Bible. The Bible says, There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Did you notice what the Lord says there? God who made all things, 
God who knows all things, God who created you and loves you and knows you, says the reason we don't have peace is because of this thing called wickedness. Now, another word for wickedness is sin. The Bible tells us the reason we don't have peace in our nations, in our society, and in our lives, and even our reason we don't have peace between us and our God, is because we've done that which is wicked. We have sinned against God. See, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, don't hear me as an Australian saying, well, that's just for you. No, my founding fathers of my country. That dog going to stop anytime soon? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Isaiah 56 can only go so far in covering that up, you know. They were very much thinners. That's how my country came about. But I've done that as well. I've sinned against God, and there was a time in my life when I had no peace. When I had absolutely no peace. Why? Because I'd sinned. I'd done wickedness. I'd have to go to be harsh. I don't think I have sinned. I'm a pretty good person. Well, God who made you gives us rules to live by. He says, here's how you should conduct your life. But we turn our back on God and we do our own thing. For instance, God tells us not to lie, but we tell lies. God tells us not to steal, but we steal. God says, don't commit adultery, but Jesus said, lust is the same as adultery, and hatred's the same as murder. God says we should love him with all that we have, our whole being. Yet we don't. And that's called sin, and that's why we don't have peace. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. And the Bible says, because of the sin we've committed, we deserve a punishment. Think of it like this. If I robbed the bank here today, there'd be a punishment. That's the same with God. You break God's rules as a punishment. And the Bible says that punishment is death and hell. That's the diagnosis, ladies and gentlemen. That's the bad news. How can I find peace? Well, the reason we have no peace is because of sin. This is where the dog better stop. Because I think we're going to get the gospel here, and it wouldn't be appropriate that yapping. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Jesus makes a promise here, and he says to the people of the world, including you, you can have peace. You can have peace. And Jesus says, I will give you peace. In fact, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in the Bible. He's the source of peace. But how do we have peace? Well, to have peace, we've got to have our sin dealt with. And here's what Jesus did. The Bible says the sin we committed said we should be judged and we should die. But Jesus Christ in love left the glories of heaven and he came down to live amongst us. He entered into our darkness. He entered into our existence. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross and he died in the place of sinners. The sin that you and I commit, the lying, the stealing, the lust, the hatred, the failure to love God, that says death. That brings about a lack of peace. It breaks relationship between God and humanity. But Jesus comes and he goes to the cross. And in love he dies for sinners. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know God shows his love towards you at the cross? You might say, well, does that apply to me? Oh, yes, it applies to you. If you want to know if you're loved, look to the cross. Look to the cross and see that Jesus died for sinners. But then three days later, he rose again from the dead. And because he rose again from the dead, he can now give us peace. In fact, the Bible says this, ready? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus offers us. It's what he offers you today. He says you can have peace through faith. To have faith means you trust in Jesus alone. It means you turn to God, you turn from your sins, and you turn to Jesus, the one who died and rose again. And the Bible says if you have faith in Jesus, you're justified. That's just a fancy word to say that God completely forgives you. He completely removes your sin, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's God's love for us. 
Jesus dies, he rises again, and if we have faith in him, if we trust in Jesus, he'll forgive us no matter what we've done. And notice the Bible says we will have peace with God. Truth in love. That's open-air preaching. I'd stop and listen to this guy. I'm kind of that way anyway, I grant you. But I'd listen to this guy. I can hear him. He's plenty loud, but he's also plenty loving. And he's simultaneously barking because he's preaching truth. Did you hear him water down sin? No. Did you hear him water down our judgment problem? No. But he wanted to point people then to the peace that we can have with God through Jesus Christ. If you're lacking that peace, today is the day of salvation for you. What you just heard in England applies to you wherever you are. Repent, put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you will have peace with God. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. British lawmakers have passed an amendment that would allow people to legally change their gender once a year. The Parliament of Finland voted 113-69 in favor of amending the country's transgender laws, which is basically just allowing one to change the box they mark next to gender, but they're not really changing their gender because that's not actually something you can do. So the Biden administration has pressured a small African country to remove its name from an agreement that declares abortion is not a human right. And founder and president of the Institute for Women's Health, Valerie Huber, said that she finds the Biden regime's attempt to pressure the country toward its ideological agenda astonishing. She went on to say, quote, it's inexcusable to use the influence of the U.S. government to push ideological agendas under a false guise of promoting human rights. Amen to that. A recently uncovered change in the Associated Press Stylebook urges journalists to use the term anti-abortion centers instead of crisis pregnancy centers when writing about pro-life organizations that offer assistance to women facing unplanned pregnancies. And they said the Associated Press didn't have an agenda. Well, newly released legislation by Florida Republicans on Monday will allow Governor Ron DeSantis to appoint all five leaders of Disney's tax district in Orlando and will officially rename the district. The bill will turn the Reedy Creek Improvement District into the Central Florida Tourism Oversight and will deliver on DeSantis' promise last year to take over the district. His office said that the special tax district, which has allowed Disney to govern themselves since 1967, did nothing more than turn the theme park into an unaccountable corporate kingdom. And DeSantis said, quote, Florida is dissolving the corporate kingdom and beginning a new era of accountability and transparency. More Regid Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah preached judgment and repentance to Judah for more than 40 years. He was mocked, beaten, and imprisoned. But in the end, God's judgment came upon Judah. When you hold fast to the Word of God, you will be heartbroken, mocked, and even persecuted. But let Jeremiah remind you that every word of God will prove true. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And you didn't think this show was biblical, au contraire. This is Wretched Radio, our very own human concordance, Jimmy, reminding us, yes, there are seagulls in the Bible. Where'd you find it, Jimmy? Deuteronomy 14, um, verse 11. You may eat any clean bird, but these are the ones which you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite in their kinds, and every raven in its kind. And the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, and the hawks in their kind. Bada boom, bada bing. Uh, we got your seagulls right here. And so does Josh Williamson. As long as you find a Bible verse and <laughs> confirm this program is biblical. Let's go back to the streets of England, southern England. Josh Williamson, a super fine open-air preacher, lifting up his voice, speaking truth, but doing it Lovingly, I love this guy's preaching. Lots of people say you get to heaven because you do good works. They might say give money to charity or help little old ladies cross the road. If you do good works, they think that will get you to heaven. But notice there's a big red cross there. 
you can work all day and all night and your works will not get you to heaven. In fact, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his own mercy he saved us. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved, not of works. So your works is not the way to heaven. And here's another wrong way to heaven. I always got to put the word religious up there. But being an Australian, I can't spell it. So I put the word church there. You know, some people think the way to heaven is through going to church, being very religious. They think if they sit in hard wooden seats, listening to a guy speak, they have no idea what he's talking about. If they would sing hymns that they don't understand, and go to church at Christmas and Easter, then perhaps that will get them to heaven. Many people think religion is the way to heaven, but did you know the Bible doesn't teach that? You can be religious to your back teeth, and it's not going to get you to heaven at all. Whatever that. In fact, Jesus said when he was here on earth that there were two men, a Pharisee, a religious man, there they are. and a tax collector, a man who was hated and despised. And Jesus said both of these men went to temple. They went to church. Now, the religious man went into the temple and he began to pray. He said, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Oh, look at all my religious deeds. Aren't I wonderful? That's how we pray. But then Jesus said, the second man, the tax collector, who everyone hated, he went to church and he prayed. But he hung his head and simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, both of those men left the temple, they left the church, but only one of them right with God. And it was not the religious man. Going to church and being religious is not the way to heaven. Now here's the third wrong way that people think will get them to heaven. Put a big cross in. It's probably the most common answer people give. I have spoke to thousands of people the world over and I've asked them this question, how do you get to heaven? And the majority will say, you get to heaven by being good. In fact, the Bible says, most men will proclaim their own goodness. We say, well, good people go to heaven, that's what we think, and bad people go to hell. But if you ask that person, well, are you a good person or a bad person? They always say, well, guess where I am? I saw a video in prison of prisoners being asked the question, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And every single criminal said, oh yeah, I'm good. Bad people are Hitler. Bad people's asylum. Bad people is Mr. Putin. They're the bad guys. But me, oh, oh, aren't I good? That's what people think. Because what we do is we judge ourselves based on other people. Well, I'm better than that person. And you're probably better than me. But we don't ever judge ourselves based on God. Jesus said, only God is good. The Bible says there is no person good, no, not one. You see, every single person, myself included, we've all sinned against God, thus we're all bad people. God has given us good rules to live by, but we break those rules. We lie, we steal, we lust, we hate, we blaspheme the God that gives us life. We do our own thing. And the Bible says we're not good, but rather the Bible makes it very clear for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now the sin that you and I commit says there's a consequence. The Bible says the consequence of sin is death and hell. The soul that sins shall die, and the wages of sin is death. That's bad news for us. So the way to heaven is not for our works, it's not for church or being religious, and it's not for being good. None of these things will help you get to heaven. So how do we get to heaven? How will you get to heaven? Well, here's the only way. Ready? Gotta tell you. If Satan didn't send that dog, then he doesn't exist. (laughs) Honestly, Josh Williamson about to preach the gospel in England with a yapping dog. I think I'd bite that dog. And I love dogs. But wow. And seagulls, of course. The only way to heaven is to trust Jesus. You see, the way to heaven is not based on what we do. The way of paradise is not based on you and your effort. 
is based upon what Jesus has done in love for sinful people. You see, the sin that we committed, the wrong that we have done, says that we should be judged. But Jesus Christ in love went to the cross and he paid the penalty for sinners. Our sin said death, but what does Jesus do? He dies on the cross. He's crucified, dead and buried. And then three days later, he rises again from the dead. And Jesus does this because he's loving and kind. He's loving and kind to the people of this world. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what country you come from, or how much skin tone you have, Jesus loves people. And he dies and rises again to rescue us so that we can have our sins forgiven and that we can know God and go to heaven when we die. And the Bible says the only way we can be forgiven is if we turn from our sins and turn to God and we trust only in Jesus. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus said, yeah? Jesus said, believe in God. Believe means to trust. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, if you want heaven, if you want forgiveness of sins, there's only one way. And that one way is him and him alone. Because he died on the cross and he rose again. And now he offers you a hand of forgiveness this very day here in this town. And he says, if you would trust in him, if you would turn from your sins and trust in Christ, no matter what you have done, you'd be completely forgiven. And this is an act of love. You and I don't deserve heaven. You and I don't deserve God's forgiveness. But it's freely given to us by the Lord Jesus. We can't do anything to earn our way to heaven. But we can come to Jesus. And Jesus can rescue us. The Bible says God loves the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, ladies and gentlemen, we didn't love God. We turned our back on God because of our sin, our lying, our stealing, our lust, our hatred. We told God to shove off. And then we think, oh, if we do good deeds, they'll get us to heaven. And God says, no, it works. But I love you. And I'm prepared to forgive you. And the only way you can be forgiven is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for sinners. And he rose again from the dead. And now he says, believe, that is trust in God. Believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. And here's a question for you today. Have you trusted in Jesus? Yes. Yes, that's a great answer. If you say no, the question is why not? He's so loving and kind. He calls you this very day. Come trust in Christ. Turn to God, turn from your sins, trust in the Savior. Come to know the God who loves. Ladies and gentlemen, we want you to know that, Jesus. That's why we have here copies of the Gospel of John. It's a biography of Jesus, the memoirs of Christ. We're offering them free of charge to anyone who would like to take one and read them and come to know Jesus for themselves. Feel free to take one, feel free to read it, and then, ladies and gentlemen, trust in Jesus. There's some literature here on the board. Feel free to help yourself to it. But remember this, the way to heaven is not through works, religion, or being good. It's only through Jesus. And that goes for you, yapping dogs and seagulls aside. Repent and trust Jesus today. This is Wretched Radio. 
So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson, is returning for season number two. As a matter of fact, it is on sale right now, and Transformed season two will demonstrate powerfully, I might add, that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things that likely you are. PTSD, anger issues, assurance, depression, discontentment, ADHD, abuse, anxiety, self-pity, and you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all life godliness and emotional challenges. Transform season two. It's on sale right now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Attributes of God Aseity is the word for God's self-existence. Nobody made God. God is the unmoved mover who causes all other things to be. All things depend on God for their continued existence. God does not need His creation. He chose to create us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yeah, yeah, I, I know we played this, but oh, learn something utterly disturbing. Uh, this is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, you have no idea who this is? I do not. You're kidding me. I know I'm not. Silly rabbit, it's the <laughs> 80s. And it's a flock of seagulls. See what I did there? Seagulls. Uh, I see. Well, they don't write them like that anymore, do they? Ooh. You, ooh, ooh. Uh, let's go back in time, shall we? It isn't as easy as jumping into a DeLorean when you and I are going to study history like the 80s, which was the best decade ever. Flock of seagulls aside, when we go back, we need to remember context, the era in which they lived, and the cultural air that they breathed. We are having a dialogue these days inside of evangelical Christianity about the relationship between church and state, and it ain't nothing new. This conversation has happened over and over again as we have seen different manifestations of different Christians believing this should be the relationship between this realm and that realm. Now, I think It's defined 
quite tidily for us in the Bible in that it doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the government. It does not appear, frankly, to be much of a concern in the New Testament at all. I'm tempted to say it actually has no concern for it, but we do see some verses that tell us how to behave in relationship with the government, recognizing their job is to bear the sword. The church's realm of jurisdiction is spiritual. The proclamation of the gospel, the defending of the truth, speaking prophetically to sinners, calling out judgment. I just heard John MacArthur talking about perhaps, I think we shared it here, the idea of an urban mandate. Let's take over this town and and let's make it Christian. That's not what we see Jesus doing. What is his message to towns? Woe unto you, Bethsaida. It's a, it's a judgment proclamation to speak truth to our neighbor and even to speak truth to our government. And so as we go about the business of having this conversation, we can look back in history, rightly so, and recognize there's some stuff that we can learn from dead people. But we're not Roman Catholic, and we don't believe in tradition. We must run to the Bible because we need to remember each of us is baked into our own times. It's funny how we don't think we are, but we are. We process the issues du jour, which are also the issues of the day, because this is the the era in which we live. And we're informed by it, and we must remember that as we appeal to authority. For instance, you go back to the 1700s to see, well, what did some of the Baptists, what did some of the Puritans have to say about church-state relations? And you're going to hear much more of a commingling than you and I have been educated to believe is correct because of the American system of a representative republic. And we might be tempted to go, we need to heed their voices totally because Well, they're dead and they were a lot smarter than us, which actually I believe both statements to be true. But they're not authoritative. And they were a part of the era in which they lived and were informed by it. Now, I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers a demonstration of that. Now, you might be surprised because I believe that this fellow is coming closer to expressing what the relationship between church and state should be. And yet, I still want to be careful that I don't remember the era in which he lived. Kevin DeYoung, in an article, this goes back almost a year now, a call for enlightened patriotism. It is a term that was coined, used, described by a dead guy. His name is Samuel Miller. Who is he? Well, he was the first professor hired at Princeton Theological Seminary in 1813. Presbyterian fellow. He preached this sermon in 1829 at the installation of William B. Sprague at Second Presbyterian Church in Albany, New York. Is a detailed analysis of the importance of sound doctrine. It's called the pastor, his call, character, and work. You say, what does this have to do with church and state? Glad you asked. Point number seven talks about that issue. Kevin DeYoung says it's worth examining in that it provides a powerful and perhaps salutary form of what some might call Christian nationalism. Now, Kevin DeYoung rejects the term, isn't trying to redeem it. He's just saying maybe this is where we should be, where this guy was in the early 19th century. And whilst what we hear, it might be exactly right, but I can't forget He was living at a different time. How many polls, how many studies have we heard from today that indicate our society is decreasingly Christian? It is not predominantly. It is not assumed Christianity, even if people reject it. It is not simply assumed, well, that's kind of the book that we work off of around here. In other words, we don't live in as predominantly a Christian, biblically informed society as this get dead guy did. So here's from Kevin DeYoung quoting Samuel Miller. He begins his seventh point by asserting, quote, 
the diffusion of sound religious doctrine through all classes of the community is one of the surest means of establishing and perpetuating our national privileges because he loved America and he saw, wow, this, this, this place, it, it's, it's not Israel. And, and God doesn't favor the people here more than he feels about people elsewhere. But, whoa, he is blessing this place uniquely. Let's keep that going. And we feel that today, don't we? So this fellow is saying, all you got to do then is teach doctrine. He didn't want any ecclesiastical establishments. This is what he said. My friends, we congratulate ourselves on the free constitutions of government under which we are so happy to live that our lot is cast in a land where the people under God are supreme. Not, not that, that we're supreme over God, but that it's this is a government by the people for the people. Where we are not called to bow to the will of a crown despot or to the oppressions of privileged orders, where we have no ecclesiastical establishments. Fascinating. So, if the church then isn't supposed to be established through the government and the government isn't supposed to be involved in any church affairs, which is what he's saying, then how do we protect this liberty thing, which I think we'd all like, wouldn't we? And his statement is just preach theology. And he continues, under governments of our own choice and laws of our own formation, we all enjoy these equal rights to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. We may congratulate ourselves, be thankful for the privileges. The great governor of the world hath not dealt so with any other nation. But his dream was not a Christian takeover of government, but a nation founded on God-given freedom, shaped by Christian values and filled with Christian teaching. In other words, he thought in his era, at his time, we just need to be really, pastor, here's, here's how you're going to be faithful to your call. Preach theology, and it will filter its way out into society. Now you say, that actually sounds decent. It's getting warm. That's something that, that might be a correct understanding of church state here. But here's the problem. Back in his time, when he preached this, it was not shocking. People were like, yeah, okay, I get it. I, I, I understand that. It, 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 it was not about church and state like Anglicanism in Virginia or Presbyterian establishment, but it was a full-throated, hey, this is a great country, and the way to keep it is by teaching theology. This is from Kevin DeYoung. Miller's prescription for America would not have been controversial. In the Presbyterian Church, in Albany, or almost anywhere in the 19th century of America, Miller's evangelical audience was not hoping for a reunion of church and state. At the same time, neither was his audience nervous about a full-throated appreciation for the inestimable blessings of American self-government and constitutional liberties. The dream was not a Christian takeover of government, but a nation founded on God, given freedom, shaped by Christian values, and filled with Christian teaching. So why do I think we need to remember history? Because this position that he's suggesting, the emphasis of teaching theology, and you know we're all about that here, thumbs up, well and good, there's a problem. The world, our fellow citizens, don't assume it. And they certainly don't believe it. Hence, their lack of believing it because they don't assume it to be true because they don't believe it to be true. So can I learn a little bit from Samuel Miller? Absolutely. Can I add this to the conversation? Yes, but I need to remember it came from its times and it's lacking the, the ground today to cultivate good theology. If we want good theology to rule the day and inform good, correct thinking about an enlightened patriotism, something needs to precede good theology. It's evangelism. We need more people saved. We need more people assuming it. We need more people believing it. Then I would say, rock on, Samuel Miller. History, it demands we do it very carefully. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.